everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat, the podcast devoted to teen entertainment from the 80s and beyond. I'm your host, Michael, and Mindy's on the other side. You say you try to say that faster and faster just to try to force yourself through it, right? I think so. Plus, I had a lot of caffeine. Oh, caffeine! I told somebody I yesterday big, at I work... I just a big slice of... Oh, I, just, I took, ate a big slice of tiramisu cake. Woo. Does that count? Will that hit me somewhere Yeah. in the realm of caffeine? Are you good? Maybe? Yeah, I think so. No, I, I'm asking. Oh. Well, I, I just finished eating it before I called you, so it could still kick in at some point yeah. and maybe make me a little crazy. I, I was a slug okay. at work yesterday, and I was taking, I was drinking some coffee or whatever, and I said, ah, every gulp's like a, a breath of fresh air, like just a, you know, like a blast of oxygen. It just, ah. Yeah. I yeah, bought. I bought a. It is the air I need to breathe. I bought dates that were stuffed with coffee grounds and covered in dark chocolate. And they're so ah! good. Oh my gosh! I must find out more about yeah. that later. Uh, I'm not. I'm not paid by this company whatsoever. But uh, it's just like this kid. Like he's 23 or 24, and he started his own little business. He hand makes every single one of them, and ships them. He even writes me a letter as a thank you for my purchase. They're called hot dates, because um, originally. Oh, Originally started off being stuffed with like ground up chili pepper, and then he introduced the coffee ah. ones last year. So yeah, so hot dates, I, I love them. Okay. All right. You, so you buy them online? Yeah, you just you, either it was like an ad I saw on Facebook or something, but he has okay. a website. Okay, I'll look it up later. That sounds yeah. interesting. Um. Okay. I love those weirdo little unique, not weirdo, but like the little unique uh, uh, independent businesses that are trying to survive. Oh yeah. Yeah. I try really hard to support small businesses, especially like in my own town, you know. Yeah, the uh, so the films we're going to be discussing today. Um, I want to say that my bodyguard kind of set the trend for bullies in in teen films. I don't, I feel like I never saw that before this movie. Can you think of one where there was bullies picking on a nerdy kid? Uh, I don't really know because I think that is about as far back of my teen movie awareness. Well, I mean, teen it movies, there were a few teen movies here and there. I mean, of course, in the 60s, there was the beach movies, but they were never about bullies. And uh, they weren't heartfelt. They were just like silly, cheap fun. In the 70s, we had more nostalgia bait, like with uh, American Graffiti and stuff like that, and just beach movies. But I feel like mm-hmm. this is one of the very first Mind you, there is a lot of heart with, uh, obviously, the uh, the first Chris Makepeace movie, uh, Meatballs. Um, buried in all that silliness with Bill Murray, whatever, he actually really connects with his character, whatever, and, and, and I think there's a lot of heart buried in all the goofiness. But my bodyguard really feels like this is 1980, things are going to change, we're going in this path. I mean, I think it took a little while because we're still drowning in that beach porkies kind of thing that's going to come. Um... But if you look at a lot of the teen movies, especially in the 90s, they're either influenced by John Hughes, or I feel like they're influenced by this film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the Stephen King movies, there's a big thing going on there. You know, Stephen King's working some shit out from being bullied as a kid, too. But, uh. and this is done, in, obviously, in a much more sensitive matter, but it's no less terrifying. I actually got some uh, triggering shit going on in the beginning of this movie when he's running around trying to get away from the bullies. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Right? Yeah, I, I didn't get bullied as bad by any means, but it I started having a small level anxiety attack from it and just remembering some of the shit that I went through, especially freshman year of high school. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I think what I like most about this movie is that it's like a minor Rocky, but it's also so beautiful in like especially like the little scenes that were there together going on their adventures and the music of course helps a lot and just it's a lot more complicated than you would think when you hear the concept you know oh he hired a, a bigger kid to be his bodyguard and you think it's going to be like this big cathartic like uh fight stuff and it does get there but it's not as obvious as you think like did you expect like the showdowns to go uh, go differently I mean, I don't. I think most of the things didn't happen the way I expected them to. So yeah, and I and the explanation of what happens with Adam Baldwin's character, I ex- excruciating. Yeah, but I what I expected was that obvious Oscar bait. No, you know, give me a monologue with this huge dramatic pull, and he's kind of like a dead inside matter of fact about the whole thing. And I thought that was really interesting, too. He's just like, just go home. You know, he was not crying, and he's not torn apart, like, visually. But he's just like, I, I am a dead end, kid. Just move on with your life. Go, you know, just go to your peaceful life or whatever without me, because I am going to suffer the rest of my days. And he wants to suffer, Yeah. Too. And in the reveal, of course, of what really happened to his brother is another, like, oh, my God. This Now, everything really, I mean, it was bad before, but it was really bad then. Yeah. Um, Adam Baldwin's first performance, and I think it's a pretty damn good one, considering he, he really didn't have anything before this. I don't know if he was, like, a high school actor or what, or he took acting lessons, but I think he's pretty spot on. I mean, you know, to have a story with so much depth, I mean, there's a lot more going on than just the basic quote-unquote teen movie. Yeah. There's a ton, ton going on here for them to work through. I mean, is there moments that are kind of cheesy? Yeah. Is there moments where you're like, oh, wow, that guy has never acted again, and he will never act after this either. Like, there's some really bad acting in there. You know, there's a lot of stuff. It's, it's a movie from 1980. Like, you know... Take it with a grain of salt. Like, try not to be too picky about it. But, but there's a lot of emotional death there too. I think, I and mean, maybe you're referring to the kid with the red hair with the extremely deep voice for a twelve-year-old. <laughs> oh, it's just some of the kids who delivered the lot, uh, especially the the first like couple scenes. You're just like. I don't know. It just seems super, super, super awkward. And I'm yeah. like, and then he deliver a guy delivers a line, and you never see him again. You're like, okay, that just happened. <laughs> I think it's funny as hell. Joan Cusack, even back then, what maybe her first performance, she's already Joan Cusack that you know and love. She's always been who she is. Yeah, it's just, but you know, most actors they take a little while to find their voice, and she's like, nope, there you yeah. go. <laughs> So I assume that this movie then had to have been filmed in Chicago. Was it set in Chicago? Here's, no, it was set in Cincinnati, but I swear to you... Oh, when I, that's when I, right. When I first started watching the movie, I thought it was in Chicago. And then, all of a sudden, I was like, wait, did they change this? And, the, and I didn't notice it, or they didn't think people would notice this? Or did I, I don't know what happened. I could have swore, like, the first ten minutes was set in Chicago. 
Yeah, but I think that in the, re- the reality is, is that regardless of where it was set, that's where it was filmed. It had to have been. Yeah. And both because, are dealing with loss. that's it... where the Cusack family, you know, lives in the greater Chicago area. And that's right. where they all got their start. I mean, she's like, what, 14 in this movie? So, you know, gotta be her first movie. I mean, I didn't look it up, but yeah, it's got to be close. And it's Matt Dillon's, I think, second or third movie. But God, he's got to sleaze down. I feel like this is what he did a lot, is just play sleazy guys for his whole career. Matt Dillon, is that what you said? Yeah. But what an... Like, I guess he's got the sleazy, creepy thing figured out, but what? But physically, what an unlikely bully. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, you know, uh, most of my bullies weren't big. They, I mean, there's a couple that were big, but most of my bullies were just guys who were fucking cocky and knew how to get into your goddamn skin because they're like teenage sociopaths. Oh, okay. I mean, I think a few of them have had grown up or whatever over the years and they realized that this wasn't the way, but some people, it's just in their nature. And you can see, like, I feel like there's no remorse. There would never be a learning period with Matt Dillon's character. Yeah, he's just like, wah, 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 and then he'll start all over again. I, uh, I'm reminded now of a situation that happened my freshman year where, uh, this kid, when no teacher was looking, I was in the computer room of, you know, there's a section of the library where there was the computers. Um, he slammed me up against the wall and said he was going to kick my ass after school. And I was walking home with a friend and I had seen him and then he didn't come over and do anything. And I had told my friend what had happened and he was much bigger than me. And he went over and threatened him and said, meet me like in a half an hour over at, uh, over at Crestview uh, when school yeah. was out or whatever. I was in high school at this point. And so we went over to Crestview or whatever waiting. And I, to this day, I should have been uh, tougher and just taken the, you know, done, fought myself instead of having a friend do it for me. I didn't pay him, obviously. And I didn't ask him to do it. All I did was tell him the story. He took it upon himself to yeah. challenge the kid to a fight and uh-huh. the the kid who was uh bullying me hired a bigger kid uh oh god really he, he didn't even show up for the fight he stayed at home and he hired another kid to come over and beat the crap out of my friend and i if i could go back now i would have told the hired gun the the rich kid's bodyguard or whatever that i it you know what this is all my thing or whatever i'll fight you and he probably wouldn't have because he wasn't hired to fight me or whatever and i was so much smaller i mean i was tiny freshman year i think i was smaller than chris mcpeace i might have been around the size of that redhead kid so it's it's funny how much of this movie really resonates with me yeah maybe too much that sounds kind of stressful yeah and and the fact that he hires a goddamn adult he doesn't hire like a high school kid I know. That guy was like 35 or 40 or something. That dude is, that dude's fucked up because he would not let it go. That's the most frustrating scene. He never wanted to fight. That's the funniest thing is everybody was so afraid of his character for the longest time. You know, making up all these stories about how he threw somebody off a cliff or he shot a teacher or stuff like that. And he just, he didn't want to be involved in any of it. He was a pacifist. And just it's heartbreaking watching that bully beat the shit out of him and destroy his motorcycle he spent so much time on. 
Yeah, just because he just didn't want to, he did not want to play the game, the stupid, moronic, pointless game. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I do feel like the showdown is earned because that it, both of them have to learn how to, you know, stand up for themselves. Yeah, they both needed to have a moment of clarity. Has Ruth Gordon ever played someone who wasn't fucking hilarious? <laughs> well, you know, I only know one version of Ruth Gordon, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, I've never seen. What, yeah, I've never seen her I most don't famous know movie. What she yeah. did before she did, you know, this and. Um, Harold and Maude. I don't know. Yeah, I watched it. There's a movie with her and George Siegel called Where's Papa, which is fucking hilarious and dark and demented, and she's just the same. So I just want to know if she ever just played like a waitress or something before that, instead of just like this. I mean, she's got so much energy for what? What was she like, 80 at this point? I mean, good lord. I, I don't know. It was, you know, it, 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 didn't, it wasn't entirely pointless, the stuff with his, with his family. Although, it, you know, it wasn't as important as maybe they could have, you know, they could have worked with it more, I think. Because sometimes it just sort of felt like it was just thrown in there to have a little levity. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, whatever she was doing just to feel alive or something. I don't know. <laughs> or just to have fun with people. I'm not sure. Uh she always, at least those are the kinds of characters she played, uh, that she just kind of liked to mess with people and uh, goof around. And when he said, you know, she's an old lady, but she acts like a little kid and just like, you know, trying to hold on to that youth or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking <laughs> but, here and I didn't know this. She was a critically acclaimed Broadway star and a writer of movies. She had two... No, three Academy Awards for Best Screenplay back in the 50s. I had just... The only thing I had read was that this this movie introduced her to a whole new, you know, group of... Age group of people. So I figured she had a, you know, a different, you know, type of career before, but not one that I was aware of. But that's a big leap. Yeah, I had no idea. And there's a big gap, so she must have retired for a while from acting because she started off like in the 40s in some movies and plays or whatever. And then, you know, maybe she was a mom. I don't know. Um, but they, she's a really interesting actress. And I also like uh, Martin Mull. He doesn't have a whole lot to do, but he's just kind of like an interesting character. Not a guy you would expect to be the dad of a teenager, you know, especially one that's bullied because he's usually kind of like the wise ass, the smart ass guy who's too cool for the room. Yeah. I thought it was really weird that he seemed totally normal until he had that one real, like, wink-wink, nudge-nudge moment with, like, the stewardess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, I was like, what is this about? This is so weird. The, uh, and then go ahead. the guy who, who works for him, who was, you know, sleazy from moment one, I kept saying to myself, God, that guy's so familiar. That guy's so familiar. What the heck do I know him from? And I had to like go look it up, and I was like, "Oh, he's that creepy ass band teacher on school Pets. Yep, that was bugging me too the whole time. I go, "I know that dude from something. I know him from something." I had to look it up. I was like, "Nope, nope, 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 nope." Ah, oh, Square Pegs. 
Yep, and I'm like, yep, yep, that's the perfect exact level of skis that I was in, that I was remembering. He, <clears throat> to me, he feels like the kind of guy who was, well, can we get Edward Herman? No. Who's further down the list? <laughs> yeah, who's cheaper and who, slightly less handsome? Who's the Dollar General version of Edward Herman? <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about um, this before we go on? Oh, Edward Herman. Uh, oh, I thought it was really funny uh, and unexpected that, like, 30-second scene with George went. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's before. I think three years before Cheers, so it's kind of, yeah, no, it's interesting. No, no, I know. But part of the reason why it's so funny is because literally, literally, we just started watching Cheers. Oh, okay. Like, we, we watch it every night. And I'm just like, oh, ha, 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 ha. I don't know, it's just... You know when you just go, you watch something you haven't seen for a long time, and you don't remember all the people who had little bit, little bit parts and stuff, or, or you, the first time you watched it originally, you didn't have a, even had a clue who this person was, and now they're huge, like famous, and you're like, oh. I didn't even even know who you were then. You no, know, just that kind of thing. I bet you this was shot in Chicago and meant to be in Cincinnati. And maybe I just saw something that gave away that it was Chicago because I forgot he was a Chicago actor at this time too. Not a lot of people know this, but George Went was a dead serious actor, and he was one of David Mamet's guys. Really? Yeah, and then and then years after Cheers, if you look through his filmography. Um, he did a few more, like, uh, well, him and Stuart Gordon worked together a lot, too, and Stuart Gordon was known for doing David Mamet plays on, uh, on stage, and he did some villain roles in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, after the whole Cheers thing kind of faded away. Oh, shoot, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> that was a long pause. <laughs> Technical difficulty. Oh, okay. <laughs> My um, apologies. No, you're good. The, uh, the I, was trying to, I was trying to look up something and then I accidentally started playing a, 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 a video and it was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> volume. So that might be weird sound. No, uh, no, you're fine. It was only like a two. Was only, I was running, I was flapping my jaw like always. Okay. So uh, the mighty. Um, I, for some reason, ex I thought this was a big fucking hit, and it wasn't. It barely did? got... I did? I don't know why I thought the mic, because I guess, I this sounds silly, but I think I got it confused with Simon Birch, and even Simon Birch wasn't that big of a hit. It did a lot better than this movie, but for some reason I got the two confused. They came out within like a month of each other, and they kind of have a little bit of similar feeling. Um, yeah. I think they made like twenty five. Also, million. maybe maybe part of it is because I watched both of them a shit ton. That could be. I feel like I know the Mighty way better than Simon Birch, though. I felt that one was too, um, way too sappy. Like just too too obvious. Uh, uh, Oscar bait. You know what I mean? Simon Birch. Yeah. Am I wrong? Uh. Well, the reality is, is that it was. It's based on a really good book. But it's rather chopped up. Uh, they, they changed a lot of things, I think, to turn it into something that might be Oscar bait, yeah. Okay. Uh, the book, though, is very, very different and very uh, moving. There's, yes, similar things, but it's got a lot more depth to it in the book that makes it 
I think less cheesy. <laughs> and that's interesting too, because this is also based on a book. You know, I, I, I read a lot, a lot, a lot of books, and I read the the book of this way before. Well, not way before, but definitely before the movie came out, and I was pretty obsessed. And I mean, frankly, still rate it pretty high up there and all time greatest books yeah the uh is it way different is the movie any different like notably different like the way that uh, I mean, Simon Birch is it's been a long it's been a long time since I read the book so I couldn't say for sure yes there has to be changes the uh, most notably like it says in the notes <laughs> it says in the like trivia that the author wrote uh, the screen, the original screenplay for the movie, and they rejected it because it was too similar to the book. What? Which is confusing. <laughs> we want to adapt something, That's... but not really. <laughs> so I don't know what to say to that. It says he wrote the screenplay, but the screenplay was scrapped because it was too much like the book. So well, clearly, it's, it's, it's fucking Miramax. There were things that were changed, but I don't, I couldn't tell you exactly because it's been so long since I read the book now. Yeah, it's, it's well, okay, so it's produced by Scholastic, but purchased by Miramax. And Miramax is legendary for just fucking things up left and right. I'm curious yeah. how early in uh, Scholastic's, you know, run of movies and TV shows because... I feel like this is fairly all like it's normal now. You remember when that, that became like a thing after Harry Potter? Yeah, Harry Potter bro uh, broke big. All of a sudden, Scholastic was doing tons of movies trying to capture that kind of magic. Um, but I feel like this had like to have been. Bridge the Terabithia and shit like that. Yeah, and uh, 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 what's the Lemony Snicket and stuff like that and Hoot. Um, I, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look them up right now because I feel like this had to have been really early on. But I mean, obviously, this shares a lot of similarities with. Uh, my bodyguard um, but I don't think it's I don't want to say it's inspired by because um, it's voice uh, and the story it's trying to tell is different especially tonally I think um, yes definitely in, in Kieran Culkin's character Kevin well, oddly enough to name, oh, wait a minute I forgot Kevin Dillon I heard that and I wasn't sure I heard that I know right. isn't that weird that's fucking hilarious if you think about it um <laughs> um is that he's more outgoing. He's the one that has a lot of lip. Now, mind you, Chris Makepeace's yeah. character has lip too, but he doesn't have the muscle to back it up. But <laughs> um, you almost think that uh, Freak has like this thing like, yeah, I know that I'm going to get my ass beat. I'm not sure I even care. Exactly. Exactly. I he wonder, doesn't care. Now, did they know... They reveal that he's going to die soon. Wait, that's why I got the movies confused. Freak the Mighty takes place in Cincinnati. Uh, that's why. I, I watched them literally back to back. And that must be where I got confused. So I bet I bet you that My Bodyguard does take place in Chicago. And I just conflated the two. Uh -huh. I used to big word people. I never do. Someone had to tell me what conflated means though. <laughs> Michael got confused. All right, let's see. Oh, no. Scholastic made stuff way before us, like TV shows and stuff like that. Voyagers. Yeah, Voyagers. They probably made, like, Max the... Or what's the motorcycle one? A Ralph. Oh, Ralph yeah, Runaway Ralph. Ralph. All those. And the motorcycle one. And see, that's the thing is that... I mean, I don't know if people realize 
how many movies are based on books. Yeah. I guarantee, I guarantee you it's a lot more than you think. Well, you know, and I had been thinking about what happens when we're done with this, with this show. And I've always thought, well, you know, there was that other boom, uh, late 90s, early 2000s of movies based on kids' books. And I thought that'd be interesting to go through and, and discuss some of those. Yeah. Well, what I, I thought about that, too, for obvious reasons. Uh, but I thought it would be interesting to do, like, maybe per episode only do one movie but compare read the book and then watch the oh, movie oh god yeah i'm a slow reader child <laughs> but well that's why we would you know there's a lot of children's books you can start there because they're small yeah i guess well uh, audiobooks are dope oh there you go that's the cheat i can listen to that while i walk or exercise that's not cheating reading re- listening to audiobooks is the same thing as reading in my opinion so okay Works no for me. shame in it. It, it. That's the argument I make with, oh, you like superhero movies, but you think me reading comic books is stupid? What's the difference? It's a movie, you know, it's just a book on, on a movie on page. <laughs> I know. Fact, Yours is better because you're actually putting some effort in. Yeah. Um, Dickheads. <laughs> uh, right. The, uh, so I, I think that this is a slightly better film, not because it's newer by any means, but I think Peter Chesum handles the difficult stuff like the emotional stuff with less sap less whimsy it's it's, i think it's a little i mean the funny is it's i say it's more grounded but it's it's also a movie that where he fantasizes about being you know in the king arthur times and stuff like that but even that is handled like if a kid's active imagination would go overboard this is how it would be i think i think it just handled really well i think that that presenting in the in that perspective having that fantasy element to it helps balance the serious stuff so that it is neither one is over the top yeah the, the director really, some kind of balance the director's really interesting i would have guessed that he was irish especially based on the music that he uses yes uh, uh-huh. he is, he's British, but um, if you look at his filmography, it's very yeah. strange. Did you look at this? It is. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's like, okay, so it's two straight-up British films, Hear My Song and Funny Bones, then The Mighty, which is an American film, but then it, there's the legendary, I've never seen it, you might have seen it, is Town and Country, that epic disaster, one of the most expensive movies ever made to make fucking nothing. Um... It's got like one of these massive. Maybe I don't know. It's Warren. It's yes, Warren Beatty, Diane Keaton, uh, Goldie Hawn, and like a whole bunch of other people. And the movie tanked. It took three years to film. Um, And then Serendipity was released right after that, and that was a hit. I get a little bit of the connection between The Mighty and Serendipity just because they're kind of like whimsical city tales or whatever. But then there's like Shall We Dance, Hannah Montana, and then Back to England for Hector and the Search for Happiness. He's a very eclectic director. I don't know if he's a gun yeah. for hire. He's a gun for hire or he just looks for interesting films to make. Space Between Us is kind of a, a rather unique film as well. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. It's I, like this, this kid like... Well, first human born on Mars. So he's this kid is born on Mars, but then ends up on Earth, and it's like also like it's like 
he's in another on another planet, but like the other way around. It's super weird. Yeah, so he's a Martian, but he's earthly yep. based. Yeah, that's interesting. Yep. That's um, very interesting. We were just talking yesterday, Jacob and I. Uh, we had discussed Casino for a, a different episode, and it's kind of a turning point for Sharon Stone, and sadly, a less financially successful one because. I think until Casino, she was a fucking terrible actress. I don't know what happened. I think Basic Instinct is shit. She's terrible in it. She's dead behind the eyes and the specialist and quick and the dead and stuff like that. And oh, there's a Magna PI episode you gotta see that's fucking insane performance from her and it's not in a good way, like not Nicolas Cage insane. And it's like spending that time with Martin Scorsese and getting the Golden Globe. Uh, I think she was even Oscar nominated for it. It opened something up for her. But then after that, it seems like everything that she was doing was not geared towards box office. It was geared towards more awards and critically uh, acclaimed kind of stuff. But it didn't make any money, which... For Golden Globe for this role. I guess, I mean, I guess she got her big paydays for the stuff post-Basic Instinct. And then she could go and do more artsy stuff. I just wish it had been more widely accepted. But I, you're t- also, I'm saying this at the same time, I haven't seen most of those movies. So I'm a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but I think she's really good in this. She's not the star. She's the name that helps sell the movie, but she's not the star. No, but, you know, she really does hold it, it all together well. She's kind of the glue, yeah. in a way. Uh, and she does have some really emotional scenes that, you know, are pretty impressive, I think. Yeah. But, but I, I thought that it was, it was a, quiet, a little bit of a quieter role for her. Yeah, it, it's but not... a lot more emotional depth. Yeah, it's not going to the rafters trying to win awards. It's just a good performance that's worthy of awards. That's the well. I mean, I also think everybody in this is great. Um, I yes. thought I thought J, uh, uh, James Gandolfini was fucking terrifying. Yes. Um. Uh. I. I uh, Harry Dean Stanton is just like. Has he ever played a bad guy, or he's just too kind of unusual to be like sinister? And I. That's kind of what I love about him. He's just kind of like an old shoe you, you're you're comfortable wearing. Yeah, I don't know what to think about him. I think, yeah, I'm just going to say, yeah, agree with you. And um, uh, the only one I think is a little bit performancey is Gillian Anderson. I think like the accent's yeah. just a little too cartoonish and stuff like that. But, you know, she was known for being kind of a stiff character on X-Files. So this gave her something else, like, you know, a little more lively to do. Yeah, it, it seemed like she made a choice because she desperately wanted to try something different. But let's talk about, I think, the performance that's... To, I mean, even I've seen this movie a couple times before. It still just shocked me how good it was as Eldon Henson. I mean, fucking knock it out of the park. I know. That, I know. I think that he doesn't get a lot of respect because, well, I mean... You know, he's playing that character for a reason, this big you know, dumb guy or whatever, and he started as a kid actor, and he had a several movies under his belt before he did this. Yeah, but I feel like this is kind of like a, a good showcase, because he was part of Mighty Ducks, and that was mostly just an ensemble where he kind of just blended in. This is just like, I mean, 
I almost think his is almost the main character. I feel like he gets more. Uh, I mean, he kind of is the main on. character. He's, yeah. He is the one, you know, writing the story, and he's the narrator. He's telling us this this thing that happened to change his life. Yeah, I didn't know that he was twenty when he filmed this. That's that. So that must mean he was. Well, no, I guess he was like thirteen or fourteen when he did Mighty Ducks. I guess that makes sense. But like Adam Baldwin was only seventeen when he made My Bodyguard, so he was just you know like oh wow, he's just giant at that age. Um, and Eldon Henson, I thought, well, he's pretty big for a teenager. Oh, no, he's technically an adult. <laughs> but still, he, he probably wasn't much bigger at 20 than he was in Mighty Ducks. Yeah, he's just got, I think what helps is that he's got such a soft face, and he can pull off a lot younger. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting how much longer did he play a teenager. He was in She's All That the Year After. Uh, idle hands where they had high school. Uh, it was Dumb and Dumber was the last time. I think he was 26 when he was in that. Yeah, it was O in 2001. Three. Oh, I think O, the movie O, was in 2001. I was just oh, okay. looking. Battle of Shaker Heights was in 2003. One of these days I'm going to watch that movie. I feel like I might have watched it when it first came out, but I haven't seen it since, and I really want to rediscover that film. Yeah, I think that same thing, I think. Um, he also narrates the audiobook of Freak the Mighty. Oh, that, oh that that's, makes, that's wonderful. That kind of makes me, like, feel something yeah. that I didn't know I could feel anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to hear that now, and, yeah. Well, of course... And it, also... Go ahead. I didn't know. It says that there's supposed to be a sequel called Max the Mighty. Really? I mean, it's already out, or it's in, it's being made. I'm not sure because it says that he recorded the audiobook for that too. Oh, okay. But that there, but there's no information on IMDb. I'll gotcha. have to look into okay. it. The, I might, um, I might revisit those books again because. They're just, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that this, I don't, whether it's cheesy or not, I don't think it is. For the most part, it, it's really, it seems sincere because they're not trying to manipulate you. You know, the, the, the Kevin, the role of Kevin is almost, I mean, yes, he, he does tell these lies to try to, I guess, save people's feelings, but ultimately he still kind of jokes about his you know his mortality and that he he makes jokes about it but yet it's he's serious too yeah so i know it's really hard to do both of those things and do it well especially when you're a kid actor but I will tell you that, like, yes, I have not seen this movie for a long time, but I did watch it, I think, a fair amount, you know, when it originally came out. But it, I, I will never not cry at this movie. And I think especially Eldon Henderson, when he, you know, when he really learns the truth at the end, and he is just devastated, and he's running and running and running, and he finds, you know... <laughs> The lab that is oh, not only yeah. said it was. It's just, it's just a heartbreaking. It's just so moving. 
The score at the end is next level epic. I think it's one of the most beautiful scores that nobody's really ever heard. I mean, you're talking like the level of like Magnificent Seven and Forrest Gump, you know, those big sweeping scores that, you know, you everybody should know. I think it's unbelievably good. Was that all done by Sting or was it just that main song? Uh, I, well, usually with that, it's just the song. I can look right now. Hold on a second. Let me, uh... I was just... I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting to have this sort of... To me, it felt sort of like Irish dance music. Yeah, that's what threw me off because I really thought the director was going to be uh, Irish, but he's British. And I apparently you'll get shot in the face if you confuse the two. <laughs> yeah, you might. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's done by and... Trevor Jones, not uh, Sting. Uh, Trevor Jones did the score for this, and he's uh, his big things were Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, The Last Mohicans, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Excalibur. So he had. I can see a connection there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see what his last thing was, because he's one of those names I know, but I couldn't really tell you. Oh, Time Bandits. That's another really, one of those big epic. So yeah, he got chosen for a reason. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Cliffhanger. Yeah, it's just, and really. Um... I'm also really drawn to the whole, like, King Arthur, you know, legend anyway. Like, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of stuff. Like, I really, I read a lot of those kinds of books. Yeah. That are, like, you know, different takes on this, the, that tale or retellings or or whatever. Um, so I, that, that aspect of the story and, you know, how they chose to present it through the through that lens mm-hmm. about that you know dealing with bullies and being heroic and <laughs> little the Stevie that they were supposed to live by you know yeah did you see little Stevie was in this oh hell yes I saw that little Stevie was in this <laughs> you do not you do not forget little Stevie he's such an interesting actor and I wonder how they found him because this is shot in Cincinnati they must have just done a, a wide search for I, mean, I think he's from like Toronto and that's not too far from Cincinnati they must have gone up there whatever to find actors yeah so interesting little Stevie <laughs> hand down little Stevie <laughs> wait I was like wait Alvin Henderson has been in so many teen movies was he in that one too no that was one of the few he wasn't in <laughs> Um, anything else you want to say before we go? Um, I don't know. Other than I think that it's, it, it is interesting that I think both of them had, you know, taken breaks in their career and in just in the last few years, they've both kind of you know, been working quite a lot. Um, you know, Eldon Henderson, especially with like Daredevil, uh, the Daredevil show, and I think it's it's gonna start it. They're yeah, gonna re- but... like not reboot it because they're still gonna have Charlie, you know, Charlie Cox and some of the same actors and stuff. So I don't know if they're gonna break, if he's gonna be continuing his role. He's not. They announced not. that he's not coming uh, with them. Yeah, that's too bad. But it was. I mean, I think it's really 
delight. I, I delight in in seeing, especially child actors, uh, like find their footing in adulthood. Yeah. And find their way back, so, or, or you know, with Pierre and Culkin. I mean, who, did anyone think that he would be the one that would be, uh, you know, getting so much acclaim right now? From Succession, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he just hosted Saturday Night Live, like, a month ago. It's oh. just sort of weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, that well, makes me think of the first movie, though, is that Chris Makepeace, you know, he had two big hits right in a row, Meatballs and My Bodyguard, yeah. and then right. he, he apparently he hated being away from home, and he's Canadian, so he would only accept Canadian productions, and that kind of slowed like things down for him, because this is before, like, American productions were going up to Canada, really, it, sure. Yeah, so it was either small dramas or it was like exploitation films was their market back then. So none of those movies really hit. And I remember he made a, like he did Vamp in Los Angeles, which was around 86. But by then it was kind of like he was just a forgotten name by that point. A great yeah. performance though. I don't know if you've ever seen Vamp. It's fucking great. Um, and he did a few more movies and he kind of faded away. He started doing, um, I think he went to college and then he started becoming like assistant director on movies and he did about 12 movies and then that was it. He stopped around like 97, 98 and he hasn't done anything since. Yeah, I think just for, you know, Karen Culkin, he especially, I mean, very clearly started his acting career as like, the younger brother of Macaulay Culkin, like there was no separation really, right, you know? right. And I'm not sure where the point became where he started, you know, stepping into his own thing, like she's all that cider house rules time, maybe. Yeah, and then like we'll... Alter Boys, Igby goes down. But I yeah. so remember going to see that at the theater by myself. I mean, I was went through a phase where I was super into those more like art house like independent kind of movies i still remember seeing that movie and then then getting on video and like watching it all the time so he clearly you know finds his own footing at some point but he didn't really act much between igby goes down and got pilgrim you know except for a couple things and that's a big chunk of time yeah well i remember we all were like holy shit why doesn't he act more because he was so fucking good in scott pilgrim and then again, he just yeah. disappeared again for a while. So, yeah. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of like their MO, though. Macaulay does that. And I think Rory has backed off some because he started getting a whole bunch of work, yeah. but then it slowed down. So, yeah, I don't know. They just, I'm sure it just must be really difficult to be famous for your almost your entire fucking life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and to have those connections. But regardless, my whole my point was is that, yay for them. I'm happy, you know, if, especially if it's, you know, they take time away and they come back to it on more on their own terms. Right, instead of, oh, God, I need to, I'm broke. I need to do, like, you know, this kind of thing or whatever. And then maybe it's, like, yeah. lesser than what. The, maybe that's what Chris Makepeace did because maybe he saw that he was involved in projects that just weren't what he wanted and yeah. then said you know what i've made a lot of money and i'll go do something else or something i don't know what he's doing i'm interested like where is Craig's, chris mcpeace now yeah okay so that I is and report back yeah <laughs> i uh that is the end of this episode uh thank you very much for listening and mindy uh you want to send us out 
Um, no. Okay, read more books, kids, and then watch the movies that are based on those books, and then judge them based on those books. <laughs> I got nothing. Bye.